What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Athlete Angle. I'm jumping back into my conversation with Aaron Moshpitz for part two. I highly recommend you go back and listen to part one of this episode. Aaron gives lots of context uh, for this episode that we're about to jump into. Aaron continues to share new ways of finding the moments of the in-between and taking advantage of just being still. I think as athletes, we have a very hard time of learning how to be still and taking advantage of that practice. As an athlete, when you're when you're in your sport, you're always jumping from one thing to the next. You're always going to the next practice, the next game. You have class. Um, you don't really have much time to just sit. Um, so we talk about how to take advantage of being able to sit still. And honestly, if this transition into life after sports, especially with the heavy emotions that come with it, it is imperative that you learn how to sit with yourself and be still and relax if you don't know how to do those things start there because without being able to do those things it is going to make it much much harder for you to transition into what your life is going to look like after sports something that I did I distracted myself I was gladly okay with not sitting still and distracting myself with new experiences and trying new things which you should do but the difference is doing those things to distract yourself and doing those things to learn about yourself are two different things if you don't take the time to learn how to sit and reflect that's when things get difficult that more difficult than they need to be so we talk about how to, a few practices that you can do to kind of help you with learning how to be still and learn how to sit with yourself and relax. Another thing that I loved uh, that Aaron brought up were jujitsu classes because he still brings in that competition, which is, a, which is definitely something that is a part of him. That is a sliver of you that you know very, very well. But he also focuses his time on other areas of his life that have nothing to do with sports and competition. Um, and he takes time to sit with those those parts of himself and learn more about himself. He gave some really great tangible examples on how to build habits that will benefit your mental health in this season, which include could go for a walk. It could include going to the gym, meditating, breathing exercises, and my favorite, journaling. I think journaling is great because there's definitely a creative flair to it. And it's also visual you can see what your thoughts are on paper um, which has been incredibly beneficial for myself Um, so I highly recommend if you don't do that yet Um, but with an athlete your life is fast-paced there's no breaks little to no breaks I should say and it can be very stressful so listen to this conversation that Aaron and I had about managing your mental health and putting these practices in place to help you manage this transition in your life What's up, guys? Welcome to The Athlete Angle. I'm your host, MC Bell. Do you feel like you're walking aimlessly through life after sports? Do you feel lost without your sport and unsure of how to find confidence in your purpose? It's like the second you hung up your cleats or walked off that field, you've been drifting ever since. Well, I'm here to tell you that you are not alone, my friend. 
You are one of thousands of student and professional athletes that struggle with transitioning into life after sports. Join me this week as we work to unravel the confusing journey of life post sports, gain clarity in your purpose, and find confidence in your identity so you can flourish in life after sports. Let's dive in. You know, I didn't just come to those realizations, you know, a couple of days after her passing, right? This took a little bit of time right. and effort and attention, but I immediately started digging deep into, into mental health. This is where my, my own mental health journey began. This is where I started learning and understanding and thinking about everything related to mental health. How can we understand it more? How can we change the conversation around it? How can we prevent anyone else from feeling the way that my sister did when she was in the depths of her darkness and despair. How can, what can we do? Um, and that's when, that's when sort of these outside passions and journey started. Um, you know, I started in a support group to help my own mental health and my own livelihood to make sure that I was waking up every day. Um, wrestling was still there as sort of a way to keep me motivated and keep me in the gym and keep me going. But then, um, at the beginning of 2019, that's when I moved back to Dallas, to Texas, I was living in Philadelphia and that's when sort of the, the baseball train started rolling in, in sort of the coaching atmosphere, but COVID was, uh, or the pandemic was a very pivotal sort of moment because I was still wrestling full time. And if you can't wrestle, you can't really wrestle when there's no fans in the building. So I actively had no job and no backup plan. And so I was doing a bit of stuff. My, my mental health nonprofit now is called You Are Loved. And so I was doing some stuff You Are Love related. Like I was doing some mental health videos on YouTube. I was uh, creating t-shirts and donating them to larger organizations. Um, I was going to conferences and just to learn more about it. And so I knew that eventually I wanted to create You Are Loved into sort of this mental health nonprofit where we could help people. And I can get into specifically how we do that uh, in a second. And so since I had all of this free time, um, I just dove right in. I dove right into creating a 501c3 official nonprofit for You Are Loved. I dove into a podcast where I could have deeper conversations with people such as yourself about these amazing topics where we can just riff and sort of create podcast magic. Um, Love it. And yeah, and I started doing some public speaking, basically just talking about my story. And I started doing all of those things. And now all of those things are what I do for a living. And it's, it's so interesting. Sometimes the word I use, but like, I'll use it for now, like interesting where my life has turned out to be based mm -hmm. on a moment that is the most worst painful moment that I've ever had. And I think a lot of people use a lot of empty platitudes when talking about these very serious moments, like everything's going to be all right. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes those things might be true, but we have to be very, 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 very careful when and where we use those phrases. Like a ton of people said that to me after my sister passed away. And I'm just like, like, what's the reason, dude? You got a fucking reason? Can you tell me? Like, yeah. I'd love to hear it. Like, what is it? Like, now I know the reason, but that's four years later of like deep, deep work. And so 
relating to, to mental health, to grief, to all of these things, the language that we use is extremely important. And I know a lot of times people like feel compelled to want to say something because they feel like they have to say something or else they're like a bad person. But really, you're not a bad person because you're thinking about that you want to say something. You're thinking about caring for that person. Mm-hmm. So the best thing you can do instead of saying all these empty things that people have said to them for like a while now, if they're if their death or their tragic or their event is recent, just like be there. Like be willing to sit in this sadness and darkness with them so that you can hold their hand, you can link arms. And so when they do decide to stand up and try and see the light, you're right there to help them up. And that's much more powerful than empty words and empty phrases. And so that's extremely important when it comes to thinking about how we talk about suicide, how we talk about mental health. Like there's much more to it. Within two, three, four days of someone passing away, that's like all that the words are said. And so we can be better. We can be more intentional. We can be more proactive with how we talk about it. And if you're not in the room with the person, you can't sit with them in their darkness, then think of a thoughtful message that you could actually send them that they would resonate with. Not like, yo, man, everything happens for a reason. Keep your chin up. Yeah. Like maybe in certain situations, you know, that could work. But in, in, in very hard situations, we're not looking for the reason to get stronger, to overcome in the midst of the tragedy. Yes, we have to do that eventually. We have to work our way up to the point where we can look at it sort of more objectively and be like, what can I take from this? Right. Yes. You know? It, yeah. So, but there's just a fine line of, of when to say things, when not to say them. So just language is, is quite important. So let's be more intentional about that you said you still had your wrestling career and that kind of thing, but uh, it almost sounds like those, you know, your baseball career and your wrestling career were kind of on the back burner for that time being. Do you think that going through this tragedy helped you, uh, you know, dig in maybe to a place that you haven't been able to go before and, and confront some of the things from your, you know, professional or from your sports career? Absolutely. Absolutely. It gave me, it sort of gave me the window into my own soul, into my own mortality, into how fragile things really are. And so you get really introspective about your life and think about all of the good things that have actually happened to you. And, and baseball kept popping up. Hmm. Uh, it's like, it's like you met your best friends in the whole freaking world at South Dakota state. Like you're just in someone's wedding. They're going to be in your wedding. Like, how is that not a win? That's a huge win. Right. Um. Yeah. You didn't make it to the big time. Who cares? Right. You had an amazing time. You got your school paid for partially. You don't get full scholarships in baseball, but anyways, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys have like 50 people on the team. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, yeah. We do have quite a lot of people, but, uh, and so like all of those things, you look back and you're like, those are, those are huge wins. Like I got to spend four years at a university, like exploring myself, figuring out things, um, meeting my best friends, playing a sport every day, thinking about all of those things. Um, and then being introduced into coaching, having to think about my mental health, my sister, my family, like where I want to be in my life. Is this important? Is wrestling important? Do I want to keep pretending like, is this how you want to live your life? Does it feel right in your gut and in your soul? And 
you ask yourself all of those questions and, you know, right away, you're not going to have any of those answers. But if you keep digging, you keep being with yourself, you keep being honest with yourself, you keep trusting yourself because you've earned that trust in yourself through the things that you've done over time. And you're like, okay, this is sort of the direction. This is where my gut is taking me. Okay, I feel this. I feel that. Let's move in this direction. You just take these small little steps and it starts to become more clear. And then, you know, I started doing that and I started taking bigger, bigger and bigger steps. And it and it's led me, you know, right here to this conversation with you, which is exactly where I want to be. Wow. So where where would you say your mental health journey is now? Yeah, I feel I feel amazing. And that's wild to say, because mm -hmm. for a time, any time that I said that I felt good or had a good day, I've, I felt guilty. I felt like an absolute horrible piece of garbage. Because how am I allowed to feel good and have a good day when my sister was struggling mm. so long and so hard? Like, why am I allowed that? That's horseshit, dude. Feel bad. Feel sad all the time. And so you got to come to terms with, I had to come to terms with that. I'm like, dude, I'm, a, I'm like allowed to have a good day. I'm allowed to smile. I'm allowed mm. to laugh with my friends. I'm allowed to go and do things that I enjoy. Cause she did all of those things. And we did a lot of those things together. We lived together for a while, which was, which was quite amazing. Um, and she was the biggest supporter. She was at my first professional wrestling match. It's actually on YouTube. If you want to watch Aww. some really hilarious thing on YouTube, absolutely, it's, it's quite funny. <laughs> uh, but anyways, so having to, having to sort of um, learn that where my mental health is now, you know, I do a lot of things every day for my mental health. I sort of, mm. I'm a big, advocate of being proactive with your mental health. So having a system and set of tools that you go to every single day, regardless of how you feel, is the only way to be proactive with your mental health. Um, you don't want to be like me and sort of wait until you get punched in the face 15 times and have two black eyes and like have to pick yourself back up. You want to start to be a little proactive because everyone is going to get hit with a crisis. Everyone is going to have death in their life pain is inevitable. All of these things are inevitable. There's no avoiding them. But if you've built in a set of practices, a toolbox, let's say, that you can sort of pick out every time you need to, and you do them on a consistent basis, like I'm feeling great today. Okay, I still do these things. I'm feeling okay today. Still do these things. I'm feeling not so good. Definitely do these things, right? Doing all of our things, all of our protocols um, all the time, especially when we feel our worst, but the important part about it is we have to know what those protocols are, right? The, the, the really hard part about it is if I'm feeling not very good, I'm sort of spiraling out of control, and I haven't tried any of these sort of tools that have maybe might be good for me that I've like read on the internet or saw on TikTok or heard on a podcast. And like all of a sudden, I'm like not feeling well, and I like meditation pops into my mind, and I'm like start meditating, okay, start breathing for like a minute. And I'm like, this shit sucks. It doesn't freaking work. You're never going to try it again. And you didn't, and it didn't work for you because you didn't give it a long enough try. And you didn't try it when you were feeling okay and had a clear mind, right? Your right. mind was, was clouded. Some things were happening. You weren't feeling your best. And you just sort of threw this technique away. Now, if you try meditation for three months and it still doesn't work for you, great. Toss it. Don't need it. It's not for you. It's not mm -hmm. part of your mental health toolkit, but you have to give those things a real try and so you want to start actively adding these things into your life. So you have a toolbox, you have a, an oncology of practices that you can go to regardless of how you feel. So you have sort of a, your number one self-care strategy that isn't like 
going to get a massage every six months. It's like something that you freaking do every day because it's a non-negotiable because it makes you feel good and you know it. For me, it's like getting eight hours of sleep. For someone else, it might be doing 30 minutes of yoga. For someone else, it might be getting a 30-minute walk outside where they can sort of like feel grass and touch nature and be in that sort of environment or get some sun, whatever it is. It's a non-negotiable. You're trying to get it done five out of seven days of the week. And so that's your number one self-care strategy. How can you add like two or three more things there so you can have this, again, toolbox, toolkit, and you can pick them out every day and then think about some of your habits and, and all of that. But that's just like how I think about my mental health. And so coming to terms with all of my really hard emotions, like sort of the shame and guilt that I felt for feeling good, for having a productive life, for like having happiness and love in my life. Like I'm allowed to have all of that. And my sister would want that for me, but you have to, you have to work through those emotions. And um, another one that I, another really challenging emotion that I had to deal with was like a sense of relief, relief that my sister was gone because she battled with major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, and some schizophrenia for like a, almost 11 years. So wow. she was like, yeah, she was an absolute fighter. She was very, very, very ill. And she went into institutions. She was on medications. She saw a psychiatrist. She still managed to graduate college with an engineering degree and get wow. an engineering job, like all of these incredible things that she did. Right. And so, but there's sometimes there's like this constant worry about that person you love the most. And it just like weighs you down. It creates overwhelm and anxiety all the time. And I'm not, I would, I would much rather have this sense of overwhelm and dread that my sister was still alive than if she isn't right. Of course, obviously Absolutely. she's the fucking best. And she guides me every single day. But I'm saying that when you have that and that person is then gone, you don't want to admit that there's a sense of relief. Like you can't, mm -hmm. you can't because you're basically saying you didn't love that person, but that's not what it is. It's just emotion that you feel. There's no wrong way to feel. There is a wrong way to act, but there is no wrong way to feel. And I really had to grasp that emotion of relief. Mm. Like I can take a deep breath now. Yeah. Okay. You know, and like some of those like hard things that I can't shove under the rug because if I shove them under the rug, the dragon is just going to get bigger and bigger and he's going to burn my house down. I'm not letting that happen. Yes, I, I got burnt a few times and I have some scrapes and some scars from my healing journey, but to come out of a place where I can feel quite good and also sharing this story quite often. Yes, I get emotionally drained from talking about it, but I never don't feel a sense of, of passion for it because I know it's what I'm meant mm -hmm. to be doing, but you have to, you have to work through all of those things. So whatever thing you're going through, you can get through it. It's really quite hard and you're going to get knocked down, but how many times can you get back up and how many times can you spiral up instead of spiral down? Because there's always going to be that downward part, but you have to make the choice to keep going back up. And everyone's capable of doing that. And that's what, you know, building communities is about. That's what building your mental health toolkit is about. It's about showing that to yourself and and also having a support system that that lifts you up when you need it, that energizes you, that revitalizes you. And all of those extremely, extremely powerful things that we can create as human beings. What is in your toolbox? Number one is exercise, for sure. I've been exercising every day of my life since I was like 14. Um, so getting to the gym, um, I've I've expanded that window to just like movement because sometimes mm -hmm. it's a really busy day and I just can have time for a 30-minute walk or a 
10 minute yoga session. I've also added like jujitsu into my life for some competition. So, so I do that like movements. Number one for me Two, sleep has been uh, the second most important thing. I've just been like a really poor sleeper my whole life. Mm. Um, and so I'm thinking about how can I have like a digital shutdown? How can I set boundaries on my screen time? How can I have it like an AM and a PM routine that allows me to feel energized? How can I have all of these things to help me get the most quality sleep I can get? How can I have a consistent wake and sleep time? All of those things. Like it's it varies every day. You know, sometimes practice goes longer or I have a podcast to record or whatever the case may be is, but trying to be as consistent as possible on my sleep so I can get eight hours so I can show up as the person I want to be with like energy and vigor and things like that. So exercise, sleep, um, I'm big into, into meditation or breathing, mindfulness practices, whatever the case may be is. I just do a little session in the morning. Sometimes it's three minutes if I'm not feeling it. Sometimes it's 21 minutes if I'm really feeling good and I'm like in the zone, I'm feeling a bit of flow, as our friend Corey would say. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's, and then, and then I do have a journaling practice. I'm not as consistent on that as the other three, but I do journal quite often about just random stuff, things I'm grateful for, optimistic future, some affirmations. So those are the big ones for me. I also started doing a cold shower and I like the sauna I did that lot. too. Cold showers are the what bomb. Do you, like? you like it? You liked it? Oh, yeah. So also the water's really cold here right now. I live in, in Florida, but I mm. went surfing on Sunday and the water's like 67 degrees, but I was fine because I've been taking these cold showers and I was like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll just keep surfing and keep catching waves. Otherwise like it's freezing, but it wakes you up. Like I feel so much better in the morning after doing a cold shower. Yes. That's a freaking win. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. it is. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Like my, uh, my girlfriend gets up every morning at five 20 to go work out. Cause she's an absolute legend. legend. Uh, so, so I just wake up with her because like, if she's going to do it, I'm going to do it. That's how we get better together. And so I immediately just hop in the shower, cold shower right there. And like, I feel great 10 minutes later. So that's been a big, uh, a new addition, but a big one over like the last, I would say three months. And then I love the sauna. Like the sauna just is like, mm. I, I usually get another meditation session in the sauna. Um, and so, but I only go to the sauna like maybe three or four times a week. And so I usually add like another session in there because it's quiet and most of the time people don't talk to you. But I have gotten a few podcast guests out of the hangout sessions in the sauna. So I can't, I <laughs> okay. can't rule that out totally. But I love uh, it. Um, yeah. So those are, those are a bit of my practices. And I would encourage uh, anyone to, to figure out the absolute best things for them. Like it's for you. It's specifically for you. What nourishes mm -hmm. you, what fills you up. And it can be weird. doesn't matter if it's weird, it's for you and it works and it makes you feel good. And it makes you feel like the best version of you. And it makes you feel alive and capable and all of those things. So you, you just have to try, you just have to try stuff and, and, and really like commit to it, make the habits that you're trying to start like too small to fail. And I mean that in a sense, like, Again, if you're trying to start a meditation practice, for example, like, okay, I'm going to meditate three days a week for 20 minutes. Like, that's a lot. That's 60 minutes of meditating a week. If you've never meditated, that's a, that's a challenge. That's a real challenge. Yeah. But if you tell yourself, okay, I'd like to start a meditation practice. I'm going to do one deep breath three times a week. Oh, cool. 
<laughs> so you, you try that it's Monday morning. You're like, all right, it's time to meditate. I'll take my one deep breath. And you're like, oh, maybe I'll get some bonus reps in. And then you do like three. And that's a win because you said the thing that you said you were going to do. You didn't say three minutes, three times, 20 minutes. You said one deep breath. Mm -hmm. That's my practice. And then you did three actually. So you did way more than you said you were going to do. And then you did it on Wednesday. And then you did it on Friday. And then maybe the next week you're feeling like, oh, I can up this. Maybe it's five breaths. Maybe it's 30 seconds. And you're just making these habits too small to fail. And then you're stacking them up. And then you're getting bonus reps. And then you're becoming the person you said that you know you could become. And you're doing the things you said you could do. And you're right. building an undeniable stack of proof that you are this fucking great person, that you are this incredible individual that has massive capabilities to change the trajectory of their whole life. And it starts with just that little movement, that one deep breath, putting that one sock in the drawer, doing one push-up, taking a 30-second walk, like not three hours, not 60 minutes, not your whole room, not your whole life. One thing, very small. Move from that. Oh man, that's so freaking good. I, I had definitely struggled with that concept of smart, you know, starting small. Um, and I would, I was always that person that wanted to overachieve. So I set my goals really high. And then when I didn't reach the unattainable goals, I'd be like, Oh, I'm a failure. I have to try harder. And then I ended up not, you know, liking what I was doing, but continuing to do it. So I love that. It's such a healthier perspective on building habits and, and, remaining consistent. Once you've gotten through this, um, you know, you've had a, a massive mental health journey, um, tied in and, and most recently, like within the later years of your life, what would you tell an athlete that maybe is about to transition out of their sport, uh, or had to end their career because of an injury or maybe didn't make tryouts to professionally like you did, what would you tell them what do you think is the most important thing for them to know in that moment um, in terms of mental health? That's a hard question, but a good one. It's mm. <laughs> my job. Yeah. Beautiful. Well done. Well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> You're a veteran in your young podcasting years. <laughs> I do it. I do it for my real job too. So that helps. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Okay. Well, I think like one of the one of the first few things I would advise is to is to take take some time and slow and slow down for a second. Um, I did not do that, and maybe it was beneficial. Uh, I think maybe it was for my life. If you have another dream and passion that you already know you want to enter, yeah, maybe go and do that. But if you have no clue, or it abruptly ended, or it just got ripped away from you because of uncontrollable circumstances, then absolutely just sort of take some time. And maybe you're not afforded time because you have to pay some bills and you need a job and you have to move back home and your your brother needs you, your mom needs whatever. Like, oh, there's so many things going on, right? So do the thing you have to do, like get that stuff done because you have to, but also try and find some space to just like think and reflect and like write down everything that comes to your brain. Like it doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to be coherent. No one else is going to read it, but just write, write about your frustrations, your are you angry about your sport? Like, what did you learn from it? How can you grow? Like all of those things, you'll eventually get to the learning and the growing part. You're going to start with the stuff that sucks, mm -hmm. um, but you have to reflect on it. And so take some time to do that amidst of, you know, taking care of your sort of real life stuff. If you don't have to, if you have time to just be for a moment, for a couple of weeks, a month, two months, amazing. 
you know, and take some time out, do some things that you never had time to do, like go for a walk or like clear your schedule where you don't have this going on, that going on. And your coach has to need you here and you have to do this and this and this where your schedule isn't fully controlled. Leave it open, let it fly. Like if someone calls you to hang out, yeah, I'm free. If no one calls you, then you just sit at home and you, and you sort of just breathe in these sort of moments that you never got before. And mm-hmm. clarity will come through that. Clarity will come because you're allowing yourself to think. Now, if you're weighing yourself down with a bunch of stuff and you dive into something else and you take on this challenge and that thing because you don't want to actually deal with what's happening like I did with myself, then you're not you're going to get to this clarity, but you're going to get to it because something has happened. Now, if something already happened because of the sport, then you're sort of going to be forced into your hand at this point. And so you want to write some things down. Get crystal clear on 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 why why you started your sport what made you love it and how can you think about something else that might be you might be curious about that you can sort of use those same sorts of skills in hmm. um, talk to other people who are sort of transitioning in your life have a support group or support system yeah, speak about so your feelings oh, yeah speak about your feelings like openly and honestly maybe just to yourself that's what the journal is for or you have a trusted friend or you have a trusted family member or just whoever it is, like speak about them out loud because as you speak about them and the person who's listening just listens, you'll start to the get, you'll start to solve your own problem by just talking about them. Like a person's not going to fix you because you don't need to be fixed, right? Again, you're not broken. You're just in a pivotal transitional point in your life. And the decision you make right now might not be the right one, but it is a decision and you're going to have to go down some sort of path. But you know, the beautiful thing about having hope for your future is that you can take multiple pathways. And so at this point, right when your sport has ended abruptly or not, you have to you have to sort of reflect on it introspectively about where you want to be, where you want to take it, what happened, your angers, your frustrations, and then speak about those things actively and honestly. And then write down like 25 things that you're super curious about. And then like on the other side of those curiosities, like write down what they have to do with like the world. Like, okay, where do they coincide? Okay, and where do they overlap? Those things will overlap your curiosities, your passion and what the world needs. Where do those things go in hand in hand? Okay, that might be your next pursuit. That might be your next pursuit. And not everything has to be a passive side income hustle thing. Like you can just do it because you, you wanna do it and you already have a sort of a job lined up or whatever the case may be. But if you need a job, cool. The world needs it. You're passionate about it. And there's some curiosity to it. Might be something you want to look into. And then I think as athletes, um, we lose the sight that it took us so long to get good at our sport. We don't take that skill over into another profession. We're just like, Oh, I'll just get good at it. in like a week yeah. best in the world in the week. But then we start to think about it and we're like, Oh no, no. It took me like a really long time to do this. Okay. It took me 15 years to get good at baseball. It'll probably take me 15 years to get good at podcasting. So I'm sticking through it. I'm in the trenches. I'm ready to crawl through the trenches again because, you know, the process of climbing the mountain is way, way, way more fun than like getting to the tip of the mountain and being like, what do I do now? So. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. That's the process is so much more enjoyable than the actual goal because of all of the memories and all the lessons that you learn along the way. Um, and yeah, I I honestly, like when you think about, you know, playing your sport for 15 years and not being good at something, honestly, it, I 
couldn't have said this before, uh, like maybe a year or two after I finished playing soccer, but it feels really good not to be good at a sport because there's not a level of pressure on me to feel like I have to be good at something. And it definitely creeps back in, but specifically with, uh, like surfing, I'm not the best surfer, but I love it. Like I am Mm. obsessed with it and not for reasons of wanting to compete or be, you know, in, you know, in contention for something or, or, you know, pride or anything like that. You just get to be yourself doing that thing. And there's no alter your motive, um, or, you know, level that you have to reach. So I love that you mentioned that. I feel, uh, the exact same way as you about jujitsu. Like I'm, I'm bad at it. I'm like a white belt and all these other dudes just like (laughs) beat me up and choke me out and take my arm and grab my neck. And it's like, great. I keep showing up every single day. I don't know why, but I just feel, I feel drawn to it. Just like you with surfing. It's like, it, it brings me joy and it's a little bit of competitive nature to it, but there's like nothing, like, I don't have to be good at it at all. It's like, woo, great. I just got beat again. Sweet. Who's up next? I'm ready. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Awesome. You're, like a, you're like a kid again. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. And I feel the same way when like I play a little catch or I do some hitting with my with my kids. I'm like so loose when I'm hitting. I think about like, oh, if I was this like loose and relaxed when I was actually playing. Yes. Okay. Like, how do I teach that? How do we teach this looseness, this relaxity, this calmness? you know, like still playing with intensity, like you need to have as an athlete, but it's Mm -hmm. like a relaxed intensity. It's like, I'm having a great time. I'm super focused on the game, but like, this is where I want to be. I'm in this moment. So that's all quite cool. Very important. Thank you for coming on. This has been, um, you have such an amazing story and I love the gravity of your story, even though it is, is tragic. People need to hear things like this desperately. So thank you for being brave and bold enough to, be honest and vulnerable and open about, um, the not so great parts of, you know, of your life. Yeah. You're very welcome. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate you having me on and giving me the space and giving me your time and yeah. Thank you. Hey, thanks for giving this episode a listen. If this episode resonated with you, please leave a review and subscribe to the show on Apple podcasts. Oh, one more thing. Stay in the know on Insta. Tag a former athlete, teammate, friend, foe, family member. You get the point. I would love to connect with you. Okay, friends, that is all she wrote. I'll see you next week.